Bibles with the book of 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter. Uh, we're, we're going to speak it again as we work our way through uh, 1 Peter. Uh, and tonight we're going to talk about the great cost of redemption. Do you realize how much your salvation costs? Uh, the, the value of your salvation, it can't be bought with money. Um, it can't be bought with works. It can't be, got, uh, be bought by good behavior. Uh, the only way that we can have salvation is because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at that tonight. In the section of Peter's uh, epistle, verses 17 through 21, he reveals the cost of redemption. Peter wants these saints that are uh, the recipients of this letter to understand uh, the redemption of the Redeemer, the cost, in verses 17 through 19. In verse 20, we see the revelation of the Redeemer, uh, the coming. And in verse number 21, we're going to see the, the resurrection of the Redeemer, the conquest. Uh, let's take a look, starting at verse number 17 of our text, in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, starting at verse number 17. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for our salvation that was just uh, such a tremendous cost to you, our Heavenly Father, and as you, you, you gave your Son for us. And, you know, we're so grateful for that. Help us to never forget that. Help us to always remember the cost of our salvation, the price that was paid so that we might have eternal life. And, you Lord, I just pray you would help us to, uh, to learn and understand this passage of Scripture, that we will uh, better have a better appreciation for our salvation, and we will never forget uh, the things that were done, that were done for us, and get to give us hope. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The redemption of the Redeemer, uh, or the cost. Um, Peter introduced the subject of the Redeemer in verse 17 by reminding them of three reasons uh, to reverence God. There's three reasons here that we ought to reverence God. Uh, first, he is their father, as Peter wrote. And if ye call on the father, uh, God is the heavenly father of all children who come to him in faith. He's our heavenly father. In uh, John 1, 12, it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. Uh, Jesus taught that believers were to pray to God, calling him Father. Uh, uh, in Matthew chapter nine, verses uh, chapter six and verse nine, we, we dealt with that during the, the Sermon on the Mount. 
After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Paul urged the saints to cry out, Abba, Father, over in Romans 8, 15. The, the phrase, ye call on, means to name, to call, to, to invoke, or, uh, to or, uh, appeal. This word is in the present tense, which uh, implies they were continually, regularly calling on God uh, as their father. Uh, do you call on God on a regular basis? I mean, uh, we, do, do we pray when we're not in, in, um, uh, in company of other Christians? Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we get caught up in our everyday routines and we just dive into that meal without stopping. Uh, some of you are pretty adamant about the, uh, making sure they pray before they eat. But I, I've been around some Christians and they just dive in. And they just, hey, we got time to eat, that's time to dig in. Uh, we, we remember, you know, we're, we're, to, we're to thank the Father for, for what we what we have placed before us and, mm -hmm. and uh, recognize Him as the provider. Uh, uh, also, most children follow the example of their fathers. This is, this is true with God's uh, children by faith. We ought to, to follow the Father. The Father Peter taught that they were to be obedient as obedient children, not fashioning themselves according to the former lust of their ignorance. That's found uh, per, uh, further up from where we started, verse 14. Uh, down in verse 15, God's children are also uh, to be holy alive. Uh, so that as he is holy, be, uh, so be ye holy. Uh, we, we ought to be holy in our life because our Father is holy. Because God is the perfect Heavenly Father and believers are His children, He will always discipline them for their own good. When was the last time you were disciplined by God? Don't raise your hand. Do you know when you're disciplined by God? Do you, do you recognize it? You know, God loves us. And just like a parent that loves a child. Listen, folks, you're not loving your child if you don't discipline them. There's a lot of parents who are raising children that don't know what the word discipline means. And it's developing a society of children that don't know how to respect authority. <coughs> Our, our, our country is plagued with people that ain't have any kind of authority. They have no respect for it, for rules and regulations and for laws. They have got to learn that in the home. And, and we've got to discipline them. I'm not saying you've got to kill the kid. You might want to sometimes. But, <laughs> but they've got to know when they did something wrong. There ought to be consequences for doing something wrong. Because when you get in real life, there are consequences for doing things wrong. When you become an adult and you're a Christian and you're a part of the Calvary Baptist Church, there are consequences for when you do something wrong. Now, you may not have mom and dad breathing down your neck, but I guarantee you, you're not going to outrun God. God loves you, and He will discipline you when you need Um... You kids, sometimes you think, man, will this ever be over with? No. You may get out from underneath mom and dad. We were talking a little bit not long ago. Uh, 
about our oldest son when he got his last uh, discipline that caused a little pain. Listen, that, that's at the Bible. Okay? You're not going to hurt, you're not, you're not going to hurt that kid by putting a little pain in the right spot. In the right spot, God made a special spot for it. <laughs> not the head, not the face. God made a special spot for it. Uh, we were talking about that, you know, and, and um, um, our kids love us. We, we disciplined a lot of the children's kids over, over in Romania. We didn't get in trouble for whipping somebody else's kids over there. <laughs> The parents will say, here, have them, I think. You know. <laughs> and we obliged. We said, this is how you do it, Mom. And we showed them. And uh, those kids love us. Man, every time we go back there, they're just, man, they can't wait to see us. I'm not going to hate you. God loves you. And because of that, he's going to discipline you. And we need to understand that. Um, uh, the second reason we need to, uh, that Christians need to reverence God is because He's their judge. Who, without respect of person, judgeth according to every man's work? Contrary to even the best human judgment, God the Father judges. Um, uh, this phrase, without respect of persons, uh, was used only here in the New Testament. And it's, it's kind of a Greek origin, a Hellenistic origin. It means to be impartial. Uh, originally, it meant not looking at a man's face, not being influenced by the identity of the person being judged, uh, meaning being impartial. Sometimes we, we see justice is supposed to come down from the courts and things, and we see some people that are important people getting away with some things. Right. And we wonder, is it because, you know, they are who they are? Or somebody special that they get away with it? And, and we think to ourselves, if I did that, I mean, if the government asked me for my emails and I didn't get it, I think I'd be fighting the, fighting the court somewhere. Uh, I'm not going to get into that, but anyway. There's some people that seem to, to live above the wall. But... But in God's economy, listen, you don't break the law and get away with it. He's our judge. We need to respect him for it. All, all judgment from God is, is unbiased. Isaiah recorded in Isaiah 11, 34, so He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. God is the final judge of his creatures, and as the Bible, it, it, it's a Bible fact. In 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 20, it says, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither uh, know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. And the psalmist wrote in Psalm 75 and 7, But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. In Acts chapter 10 in the New Testament, and verse 
42, and he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. Jesus, uh, Christ, will judge the works of God's children at the judgment seat of Christ. Listen, you, you may be saved, but you've got a judgment that you're going to be faced. The judgment seat of Christ. It's, 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 it's evident. It's been mentioned in the New Testament a couple of places. Um, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, it says, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone will receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And then Paul also wrote uh, in Romans that we should stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Um, and in uh, Romans 14, it says, But why doest thou judge thy brother, or why doest thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He will judge every man according to his work. Every work of service believers do or fail to do will come under the scrutiny to be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, Paul explained in, in, second, in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verses 13 through 15, Every work, every man's work, shall be made manifest. If any man's work abide, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Believers are saved from the eternal consequences of their sins, but not from the accountability of their service. Listen, our sins are forgiven. And the payment for sin is dead. Okay? But that, that payment for sin, that, that, that's keeping us from going to hell. But while we're here on this earth, we're going to be corrected. And if you've been a Christian for a very long time at all, you have been corrected. Hopefully you have seen it. If you don't think you've ever been corrected by the Lord, you better check your salvation. Because he, he disciplines, he corrects those that are his. He don't, he don't discipline those who don't that are not his. Um, the third reason children of God should reverence the Father is because their lives on this earth are short. It says every, every saint should pass the time of their sojourning here in fear. What that verse 17 uh, says every believer life on this earth is described by the word sojourning which means a journey or temporary stay we, we sojourn here on this earth it's the, only, uh, the only other time the word is used in the New Testament uh, is in a different form in Acts chapter 13 and verse 17 where it said, refers to Israel's 400 year sojourn in, in Egypt for Christians life on earth is dwelling in a strange and foreign land because through the new birth they become citizens of heaven. Listen, we, we're not home. This land is not my home. I'm just passing through. Uh, we, we have a home in heaven. That's, that's, yeah, we're going to spend some time here, but there's going to be a time when there's not, there is no time and we'll be home. There won't be time for we're going to be home, and our home is in heaven. Uh, listen, what we have here on this earth is, is just temporary. It's very temporary when you compare eternity. We, we have 
we have an eternal existence to live. And our, our, our residence uh, may be temporarily here, but our home is in heaven. Um, followers of Jesus, uh, about the followers of Jesus, Jesus said, um, they, are, they are not of this world even as I am not of this world. He said that in John 17. Uh, though their heavenly citizenship is not of this world, believers are sent into it as Jesus said, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so I also sent them into the world. Uh, when we, uh, when we uh, get saved, we don't get saved just being, you know, sanctified and satisfied and petrified, setting up on a church pew and think we're doing a good deed. He, he saved us to send us, to be active, to be reaching out. Uh, sometimes we get the idea, I'm saved, I'm, uh, I'm going to heaven, I know I've taken care of that, and we, and we may not say it, but sometimes we, we, our actions say that to hell with the rest of the group. We, our actions say that. We shouldn't be that way. We should, we should have a concern for lost souls. Listen, if you don't have a concern for lost souls, you need to check your salvation. You need to have a desire, a burden. Appreciate Sister Katie. She's got a new relationship starting with a neighbor. She's praying that God would give her the right opportunity to witness to them. How often do we do that? We, we, we see people day in and day out. And, and, and we don't have a burden for them. We ought to have a burden for them. Through their heavenly citizenship, uh, though their heavenly citizenship is not of the world, believers are sent uh, into it, as, uh, just as Jesus said. Followers of Christ are in this world as strangers and pilgrims. Living as outsiders it is in this sinful world sent by the Father to live for and serve primarily. Serve Him primarily. Their time on earth should be spent in fear, which means in genuine reverence and respect for God and His plans and purposes for them. When you were a child, and you came home from school with a bad report card, And your parents asked you for your report card. How did what emotion did you feel? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How can I get out of this? Uh, I'm not sure how to do report cards these days. And I, I, I guess you still have to sign them and send them back. I don't know. I hope they do that because kids would, you know, get around it if they could. I guarantee you. There's a fear there. Um, it's not because we don't love our parents, and it's not because our parents don't love us. It's a respectful fear because we don't want to disappoint them. We we don't want them to be angry with us, give us that lecture. If I was a kid, sometimes I'd rather take the book and then hear the lecture. <laughs> it seemed like the lecture just kept going on and on and on. I said, well, spank me. 
don't love him, not that he doesn't love us, but we, we, re we reference him. The next four verses uh, may be the clearest and most moving statements about Christ the Redeemer in any of the scripture. Peter reminded his re readers of the redemption of Christ and the, and the cost. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold uh, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He began by talking negatively about things that could not be redeemed. Um, then positively revealing the true ground of saving redemption. Uh, the subject in verses 18 and 19 is redemption, and, or, or what is required for believers to be redeemed, meaning to be released or liberated from bondage after receiving the, a payment for a ransom. In secular use, the word redeemed means uh, to purchase the freedom of a prisoner held captive by an enemy. Um, I read a little bit of about a book. I've got two of them in my library. One of them, one of them, still wrapped up in cellophane. Tortured for Christ. It's a story about actually a Romanian man who was a Christian during communist times. He spent about fifteen years in prison, and um, and eventually. He got his freedom, and he was turned loose for a little bit, and they put him in jail again. Eventually, someone paid a price, some government, that's some outside government, gave the government of Romania uh, uh, somewhere, somewhere in the neighborhood of ten dollars to $15,000 if they would just release him out of the country. Um, and that's how they got political prisoners out of jail. His body was scarred. He stood before our, our Senate and took his shirt off to show the scars of the torture that happened to him while he was in communist Romania. Um, he, um, get where I was going with that. Oh, that, that money that was paid for his release, that was his redemption out of prison. It was money that would pay for the release of someone out of prison. We as children of God, as now, as, as lost, when we were lost, Jesus paid the price for us to be freed from the prisons of sin and of death and hell so that we might have our freedom. Uh, it, that's where this word redeemed comes from. That's, that's the meaning of this word, redeemed. Uh, Paul used a similar word for redemption in Titus when he wrote that Jesus Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Jesus stated in Matthew 20 uh, and verse 28 that he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He came to redeem. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body that your spirit which uh, and your, and your spirit which are God's. 
Peter began with the negative, reminding them of things that could not be redeemed. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things. He stirred the memories of their salvation. Uh, the verse begins with the phrase, for as much as ye know, meaning to know or perceive with the eyes or by personal experience. Peter reminded them that they knew by personal experience that their redemption was not accomplished with corruptible things, which means perishable or corruptible material things. Salvation and soul redemption could never come by things such as silver or gold. The word means to be to buy, to buy back, to buy back their freedom. Uh, but silver and gold can't do it. Silver and gold will not do it. Will never buy. You can't buy your way into heaven. I'm afraid there's a lot of people trying to pay their pay their way into into heaven. Uh, when I was in Romania, I would hear about uh, different uh, churches that were being built, and there were Orthodox churches. Oh, this church over here is being built by this lady who's really wealthy, and she wanted to give some money to the church and uh, put this church here in this spot. And I, and I know all of that is centered around people trying to buy their way into heaven. Uh, to give that kind of money? To, to, to get into heaven? It's all part of uh, The psalmist wrote um, that, that in verse 4, that in Psalm 49, 6 and 7, They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. You, you can't do it. You can't buy your way into heaven. Uh, the psalmist also said in Psalm 49, verse 15, God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Silver and gold are the most durable and, and least perishable of valued possessions, but they cannot redeem the soul. Material things cannot and never will redeem a sinner. But neither can vain conversations received by the traditions of your fathers, as our text says. Their vain, useless, worthless conversation, meaning their conduct or behavior inherited from their fathers, could never redeem their souls. Your behavior will not do it. The behavior of your parents will not do it. Now, there is a multitude of people in this world that think they're going to heaven because their parents were good Christians. Listen, God doesn't have grandchildren. There are no grandchildren to God. He has children. And it doesn't matter how godly your parents were. Everyone must make that decision themselves. The power of a new life in Christ would establish a new foundation on which to build a new life. Regardless of the former traditions and practices of their ancestors, he means it was impossible to buy soul redemption with silver or gold. And it was unimaginable to think that one could earn redemption by living a vain, empty life following the traditions of former generations. This new life in Christ would result in a new life, uh, a new walk. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. But God hath before ordained 
which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. We have a new walk in our life of Christ. Uh, a new way of life, a new behavior. Listen, we get saved. Something's happened to our, 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 our spirit side of us. And it should change our, our, our appearance. It should change our mannerism. It should change the things we do. If there's no change on the outside, I guarantee you there's no change on the inside. I don't care what they say. I don't care how many times you walk down or how many times you get wet in the bathroom street. If there's no change on the outside that anybody can see, it's been really tough under Dr. Baptist. He said, hey, go show me some fruits meet for repentance. Go and go show me that you've repented. He's a little hard on folks. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't just say, you know, okay, you say you're sorry. Okay, well, you know, move on. No, he said show some proof. Um, all of the, the things that we, we did before should be different. We should be, we should be a changed person. The formal things could, uh, could never redeem us. But one thing, as Peter revealed in verse number 19, could redeem but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. On the positive side, the only thing that could redeem the soul was the precious blood. People criticize the Baptists because we talk about the blood so much. And I see the blood washed in the blood Tell you what, without the blood, we have no salvation. We must recognize the precious blood of Christ. This word precious means something held as a great price, something costly, held in honor, esteemed, and especially dear. Uh, it is most often used to describe precious stones in, in Revelation and Corinthians and, and also precious fruit in James. And precious promises in 2 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> but here Peter chooses the word precious to describe the most esteemed and valuable and costly price ever paid. The precious blood of Christ. The blood of Christ was uniquely precious because it was of the lamb without, blem without blemish and without spot. It was the it was lamb of God's blood. That was perfect had no sin. Nothing could redeem a soul or purchase a home in heaven for sinners but the blood of his son. Jesus shed his blood as of a lamb. For centuries, lambs had been sacrificed, picturing the, the innocent shedding of, of blood for the guilty. Israel was redeemed by from Egypt by the blood of the Passover lamb. If they didn't kill that lamb, it wasn't just anyone. They didn't pick the sickest one they could to get to put on uh, to sacrifice. No, they had they had to get a special lamb. It had to be uh, uh, of the first year. They had to set it aside, make for for a period of time to make sure it wasn't sick, pull it away from everybody, all the rest of the sheep, make sure it wasn't sick. They checked it out, make sure there was no spots or blemish. It had to be a perfect lamb. It had to be a separated lamb. It had to be a a, 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 a lamb that was was wholesome. In the time of his life. Because it was typical of what Jesus was. He was without spot. Without blemish. He was whole. 
and, and, and all of that pictured Christ. They put the blood on the doorpost above the door and down each side. And you can just picture the cross and lay it across that door. And you can see Christ as he's there on the cross. Back in Egypt. He saved those people of Israel who, who, uh, who did that. The Egyptians, they didn't do it. And the firstborn of every household died. Not just the people, but also the firstborn of the animals too. They all died when that Passover lamb came. Um, after seeing Jesus trying to baptize, he said, we said that this morning, Behold the Lamb of God which take away the sin of the world. Later it was revealed, uh, neither by blood or goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. <coughs> the Ethiopian eunuch read in Isaiah, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so openeth he not his mouth. But they did not understand, so, so, so Philip opened the, his mouth and began at the same scripture to preach unto him Jesus. Ethiopian was reading about Jesus and he didn't know who he was talking about. And the Ethiopian says, that's, that's Jesus. That's the one they just crucified just a little bit ago in Jerusalem. Uh, not only that, but the blood that redeems believers was not just from any lamb, but was from uh, uh, one lamb, one without blemish and without spot. The Old Testament demanded the sacrifice of a faultless lamb. God's perfect lamb was faultless, without spot or blemish. But it was also unblameable and unreproachable, free from any condemnation or sin. He was one who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. The payment for redeeming the souls of men was the precious blood of Jesus. And it should have an effect. Paul, Paul wrote, you are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Soul redemption is found only in Jesus. Being justified freely by his grace through his redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The Lord said, their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. The, sac the one sacrifice of Christ, God's holy perfect lamb, uh, was the one offering for sin for all people and for all time. And, and in the Greek, in this last part of this verse, uh, Christ is kind of, in, in our translation, the King, the King James translation, Christ is kind of falls in the middle of the verse. But in the Greek verse, and I, I, I looked this up, in the, the Greek uh, Hebrew lexicon, Christ comes at the very end of the verse uh, in, in the Greek uh, layout. And, and it's very, it's dramatically identifying the sinless lamb whose precious blood was shed. And, and the construction also identifies that Christ is the one referred to in the next verse that begins with, who verily was foreordained. And, and so we see the revelation of the Redeemer, the coming in verse number 20 who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Peter continued revealing facts about the Redeemer as he addressed the revelation of Christ. Um, the one true Redeemer of mankind was chosen from eternity. Uh, he, was, 
he verily was foreordained, meaning to know or to have knowledge of beforehand, to foreknow. Listen, when Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't say, uh-oh. He didn't say, now what am I going to do? Listen, this was planned before there was ever, ever was an Adam and Eve. Right. It was predetermined that Christ would be sacrificed. Uh, are you saying that God knew that uh, that man was going to sin? God knows everything. He knew. He knows. He knew you were going to be saved. He knew when you were going to be saved. Not that he didn't determine that you were going to be saved at a particular time. He didn't make that decision, but he knew when you would finally give in. He knows everything, and he was. It was pre-planned. It was pre-ordained. It was never an uh-oh moment. Listen, you're not going to have any surprises on God. You, you, may, you may make a bad choice. It's not going to shock God. He's not going to say, oh my, what did he do? What did she do? Listen, you, there's no, surprise, no surprises for God. He knows. He knows what, what you do. Through Jesus was foreordained for an eternity. He came, they came in time and was manifest in these last times for you. I'm going to have to hurry. The last part is the resurrection of the Redeemer, the conquest in verse 21. Who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead, raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Peter here revealed another fact about his, the Redeemer, his resurrection. The Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, is an object of the believer's faith. Who by him do believe in God. We, we put our faith in Jesus and, and, uh, and, and the power of the resurrect, resurrection. These saints scattered all over Asia and Asia Minor, uh, uh, thought, uh, though having not seen him, yet believed. Just like us. We haven't seen him, but we believe. Those, those people had not seen him. Um, He uses, it says, by him, meaning through him, they came to believe in God. Jesus uses the same word, by, and saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, through me. The only way to the Father is through Jesus. The words to believe indicates an ongoing action of faith in God. They placed their faith in God based upon the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. These Christians believe because God that raised him up from the dead, bringing them a lively hope. This sacrificial death and miraculous resurrection of Jesus Christ is vitally connected to saving faith. If Christ was not raised from the dead, ye are yet in your sins. According to 1 Corinthians. The object of the believer's faith was raised from the dead. Jesus was raised to the resurrection of Christ forever sets them apart from all others. Christ, Jesus, was, was, was also showered with God's glory, as Peter wrote, and gave him glory. All four gospel accounts record that Jesus, after his resurrection, appeared alive, active, and in a body not bound by natural laws. He, he was alive. He was, he was seen by, by multitudes. The Bible says up to 500 men saw him living and walking around after his crucifixion. All this happened 
to Jesus according to God's plan that your faith and hope might be in God. Jesus endured the shame of the cross, was crucified, buried, arose, and ascended so that believers could ground their faith in the hope in God alone. Listen, we go to heaven not because of anything that we've done. Don't pat yourself on the back and think too highly of yourself because uh, you were just good enough to get saved. No, you weren't. No one is. There's no redemption by silver or gold, nor hope in the traditions of men. You're not going to heaven because your parents are good people. Uh, it, it just doesn't work that way. As Edward Moses sang, wrote the song, he, he says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It is in him alone that faith and hope exist. And because he paid the cost of redemption. Do you realize the cost of your redemption? Jesus paid the price. He paid it all. All to him I owe. But the song says, it was a cost paid for your salvation. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it flippantly. And let's have a care and burden for those that are around us that still haven't found Jesus. Amen. Let's take the gospel to them. Let's be what we're supposed to be here for. Otherwise, God can just take you on home. You're not going to do anything for Him. He just may as well just take you on home. Uh, that's the only reason why He leaves us here. Because He wants us to reach others, bring us others with us. 